I would invite you to turn with me to the book of Titus. It's towards the back of your Bible. If you're not all that familiar with the scriptures, you might be able to start and go backwards. Titus chapter 2 is where we're going to be primarily today. And it's going to be on a screen behind me. So if you don't have a Bible with you, you can follow along there. Titus chapter 2, we're going to be starting in verse 9 with a message that I think is appropriate and a text that is appropriate for Labor Day weekend. September is upon us. Now we're supposed to stop wearing white. Cascade Falls is closing, but pumpkin spice is in the air. College football is back, and this weekend we celebrate labor and all those who have jobs by not working. No, there's a lot of history behind that that I won't go into, how this day came to be. But I was listening to a podcast this past week, and it was about, well, before I talk about that, let's read our passage together. Titus chapter 2, verses 9 through 14 says, Bondservants are to be submissive to their own masters in everything. They are to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, Not pilfering, but showing all good faith so that in everything they might adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live controlled, upright, godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope the appearing of the great glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us. Let that sink in for a moment. Why? To redeem us from all lawlessness, to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. was listening to a podcast this week talking about the familiar Greek myth that we've all probably heard reference to, Pandora's box. It is a myth that the gods gave this box to a woman named Pandora and told her, if you open this, all the evils that are in this box will be unleashed on the world. Well, that's like telling a kindergartner, don't jump in this puddle right here that looks awesome. They don't even realize it's there until you point it out to them. So the story goes that the box is opened and unleashed on the world are all the evils that are in its contents. And one of those evils that is unleashed is the evil of work. Is work evil? Some days it might feel like it, right? Depending on your workload or your work situation, but is work valuable? Or is it only those that are in vocational ministry, those that have been called by God to do work full-time for the church of God, or as a missionary, are it those that are often celebrated, and rightfully so, are those the only one whose work is valuable in vocational ministry? Bob Thune, who did a lot of work on Christianity and work, He says that the root of the English word for vocation is the Latin verb voca, which means to call. So when someone says, what is your vocation for a long period of time, people saw their work as their calling. So we can take this truth to heart this morning that whatever vocation God has called you to, he has called you to it. 
to work hard and to do it well. Whether you enjoy it or you're looking forward to something else that comes or it's your dream job, God has called you to this work inside the home, outside the home, whatever it may be, and it is good. And we read in Genesis that God confirms that work is good after he created the world. This is what is told us of, of Adam in Genesis 2.15. The Lord took the man, put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. So we see the mandate for man to work happen before the fall of man. So work is not a result of sin entering the world, but it's a part of our original design. It's good, but it doesn't always feel that way, does it? Because we read on a little bit further in Genesis chapter 3, and we're told, because you have listened to the voice of your wife, you have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants for the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. So after the fall we still work, but it's a little bit different now. It's cursed. It can still be fulfilling, but at times it's often difficult, involves weeds, literal weeds if you come to my house. It involves stress. It involves overtime, overbearing bosses, deadlines, and yes, boring meetings. Work has been cursed, but its original intent for man to be workers is still intact and is a good thing. Listen, God cares about your work. He cares about what we do and what kind of person we are in the midst of it. And so our text today, Paul is writing to his partner in ministry, Titus. And he's instructing him, Titus is on the Isle of Crete, just south of Greece in the Mediterranean Sea. And it's an island that had been reached partly for the gospel. And Titus has been placed there, and he's been placed there to now train up godly men to lead the church of God as elders and as pastors to lead and to shepherd the flock. But as we're going to see, this is going to be quite a challenge for Titus. Because look at what Paul says concerning those who live on the island of Crete. He says, Cretans are always liars. Chapter 1, evil beasts and lazy gluttons. Now that's a pretty crazy commentary coming from Paul, isn't it? Always liars. In every circumstance, they lie. They're evil beasts. Now that's not, that, that beast word can be confusing in our context, right? Because we've made that into a good thing. One of my favorite phrases is to say beast mode, right? If you've been around me any point of time. But he's not talking about beast in a good way, but in a negative way. Ferocious people that care about no one else, their gods or their stomach as they are lazy gluttons. That's pretty harsh for Paul to say, but what's so crazy about it is Paul is actually quoting someone who's from Crete talking about himself and talking about his own people. Look at the whole verse here. One of the Cretans, a prophet of their own, said Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, and lazy gluttons. He says, I'm bad. Everyone else is. We know it. We're bad. We show it. That's what the Isle of Crete is all about. But Titus, or Paul says to Titus, but not you. You 
are to teach sound doctrine. You are to teach and be an example of good works that is motivated and grounded in grace. And we as Christians, the people of God, should be the greatest workers of all. We should work harder than anyone else to be on time, to have a good attitude, to pursue holiness and integrity rooted in the grace of God. That's why we work. All of our work is motivated by grace. And so I want to show us this morning from Titus chapter 2 why we work hard with the motivation of God's grace that causes us to do so. So look at verse 11 of Titus chapter 2. It says, For the grace of God has appeared bringing salvation for all people. First, grace motivates our work because grace saves us from works. Grace saves us from works. Grace appeared, that is Jesus, God in the flesh, bringing salvation that is rescue for all peoples, every tribe, every nation, every social status, every economic status, all who call on faith in Jesus by grace alone come into the family of God and are saved by God. But why do we need to be rescued? Well, look over in chapter 3, verse 3. It's going to be on the screen, too. This is what it says. Paul says, for we ourselves, notice he's including himself in there. Paul, a moral man, a Pharisee, says this. We ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice, envy, hated by others, and hating one Another. So Paul says we could be hard on the Cretans, but we're all Cretans at one point. Well, some of us might think, well, that's nice, but I don't, not really me. I'm not that bad. I always know when my wife is, has driven my car when I get into it, right? Because the seat is pushed up way far. And when I pull it back and then I turn on the car, I notice my radio station has been changed. So last night, I was driving over to High V, and I put my seat back, turned on the car, and my radio station had been turned to a country music station by my wife. She's still a work in progress, I know. We don't claim to be perfect, all right? Just like you and me. And I was glad she turned it there, because I heard a good theological lesson from how most people think on the radio. This is the lyrics that came up, and some of you will recognize this. You can hum along if you want to, but you will be wrong in doing so. <laughs> he says this from Luke Bryan, I believe most mamas ought to qualify for sainthood. Can I get an amen on that? I believe most Friday nights look better under neon or stadium lights. I believe you love who you love. Ain't nothing you should ever be ashamed of. I believe this world ain't half as bad as it looks. I believe most people are good. You can believe that, but what's your belief based on? When we look at the word of God, we see that maybe not everybody's as bad as some, but not anyone is good. And so each and every one of us are born Cretans, not desiring good, and are evil, broken people full of sin. And we can sense that, can't we? 
I mean, even the most moral person can tell that they don't measure up. God's law, his moral code is written on hearts. But because we're made for work, our first response is, I can fix this. I can work this out. I can make everything okay by trying really hard. And Paul says in the next couple of verses of chapter 3 that that is, it, that is not correct. He says, but when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, so not our own good works, but according to his own mercy. He didn't give us what we deserved. Instead, he showed us mercy by the washing of regeneration that is bringing us into a new life, a new birth through the renewal of the Holy Spirit. And how does that happen? Through whom he poured out us richly, through Jesus Christ, our Savior. So when we come to faith in him, we're made new in Christ regenerated, we're washed clean of all our sin. The result is so that being justified by grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. So in that moment, you place your faith in Christ, you're justified. So Brad Posley, simultaneously still a sinner before God is declared righteous and given the hope of eternal life with God. That's what we have in Christ. That's what we're saved from. We could never earn our salvation. It's all by grace. And that grace motivates us to work hard, to live for Christ, knowing we could never achieve our own salvation. Verse 11 of chapter 2 says, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. Secondly, grace trains us to work. So grace saves us from works. Grace trains us to work. Grace is our personal trainer. Did you catch that? It's not now you're given over to the law to really now work hard, but your motivation and your trainer is grace. Now, I've never had a personal trainer. That's evident by my biceps this morning, okay? But if I did have one, they would talk to me about how to live and exercise and have a right mindset, mindset in a healthy manner. They would motivate me with things. Now, you can be motivated by a lot of things to work, can't you? Fear. Motivated by finding your worth and acceptance in how you work and why you do good. But we're told that grace trains us. The more that we get into the salvation that we have in Christ and we explore the heights and the depths of it, we find ourselves being motivated to produce good works. And if we're truly a Christian, we say, oh, grace has come, not so I can sin more and not be punished, but because I have grace of God, I want to live for Christ. Have you ever experienced great grace like that from somebody else? When I was in college, my freshman year, I was a dummy, as most not most, but some freshmen in college are. Made a lot of mistakes, made a reputation for myself. And it was really hard to break away from that reputation while I was in school. But one guy came and he found me. His name was Shane. And he said, Brad, I believe that you're better and I know that you want to change and I want to be the guy that's going to help you do that. 
said, I want you to come live in my dorm. He's the director of that dorm. And he said, I'm going to be in your life. I'm going to disciple you and encourage you. And I'm going to show you grace because I know you haven't lived in a way that deserves this, but I want to help you. What do you think my desire was? You think I didn't want to hang around Shane after that? I wanted to be with him all the time. I wanted to learn from him. I wanted to grow through him because he was extending grace to me. And I found myself changing and growing the more time I spent with him as we looked at the Bible and what God's word said. It doesn't mean that it's going to be easy. You still have to renounce godliness. That's what grace encouraged you to do. But that's how you grow in Christ and you grow in your trained in good works in this present age, it says. So that means in the midst of what you're doing, you grow in grace while other people watch you. While you see areas of your life that you still need God's grace, but you're striving to do good works in front of other people, your coworkers, your friends, your family, the grace of God has come to produce in us good works. Now, does this really relate to my vocation as a boss, as a supervisor, as an employee? Well, look at the verses right before this. Look at verse 9. I'm going to read it in the NIV. You'll see it behind me here. Teach slaves. That is not the same kind of American slaves that we have. It wasn't racial, racial, and it wasn't for all of time. Someone willingly placed themselves into slavery to pay off a financial debt. Teach slaves to be subject to their masters in everything. To try to please them. Not to talk back to them. Not to steal from them but to show that they have been full, can be fully trusted. So you're living with integrity, working with integrity, in that every way they will make the teaching about God, our Savior, attractive. You strive and work hard in such a way to make God's message, the gospel, attractive. Listen, we can't add to the gospel message. We can't make it better. But by our lives and the way that we live, we can make it more attractive. That's why Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, in the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Spurgeon encourages us to look at it as if you're putting jewels and, and jewelry on the gospel so that people notice it in your life. You're saying, here's the mercy that I'm showing others in my life. I am putting it on the gospel. Here is my integrity, my forgiveness, and I'm adorning or I'm making the gospel attractive through my life to other people. Is that true of your life when you work? Is the gospel attractive to the people that you work with? Or are they repelled from it because you're adorning the gospel with gossip, laziness? complaint. As we work, because grace trains us, even in the midst of hard work that's difficult, we want to adorn the gospel and make it attractive to others. Thirdly, future grace brings us purpose in our work. Future grace brings us purpose in our work. Look at verses 13 and 14 of chapter 2. Waiting for our blessed hope, 
the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness, to purify for himself a people for his own possession, who are zealous for good works. The grace of God appeared the first time, bringing salvation to all who would believe in faith redeeming us, buying us back, making us a people of God that we belong to him. And we're told here that the grace of God that is Jesus is going to appear again. Jesus Christ is coming back. And he's going to live with his people. He's going to do away with all wrongs and set up his earthly kingdom in its fullness. And so Paul is saying, because of this, Our response should be a motivation, a zeal, an urgency to do good works, knowing that my work isn't meaningless. You're not just a bunch of random particles that happen to come together by chance that punches a clock and then ceases to exist. No. You have a glorious assurance that you were made for a purpose, on purpose, and that one God who made you is one day returning. So we wait, not like we do when we're in a waiting room where we pull our phones out and just scroll with our thumbs, but we wait with an expectation and working while we wait. You're working towards something because God is one day returning. It's been a little while since I've had kids that have had to have their diapers changed, and I forgot just how gross it was. My wife just the other day was watching a kid. There's something about changing your own kid's diapers. Like, I've done a ton of that, but when it's somebody else's, you're like, all right, man, that's crossing the line here. Mandy? You know, so, and she got over there and changed it. I remember sitting back in the smell, and I was like, that is so gross. <laughs> but it was doing something. It was saving that child from sitting in their own stuff. It was making the house smell better. Even moms, listen, what you're doing, it feels so meaningless sometimes, but God has called you to that. And even the small tasks like that, they mean something. Those of you who are retired, they don't have a full-time vocation anymore. What you're doing now, if you're working hard, it means something. Use your time to invest in the next generation. Those that are in your sphere of influence, I was talking to a guy on Friday. I was having lunch with him for my cell group, and he's an engineer, and he said, you know, I've wrestled with if my work really matters. I mean, I'm designing and building buildings. He said, maybe I should leave and go into ministry. I said, if you're wanting to go into ministry, if you're not going into ministry because of of, uh, financial reasons or other things, then that's wrong. But if you feel that God has called you in this way to work this way, that's a good thing. And he said, you know, I found that God is honored if I do my job well and use the gifts that he's given to me to build something and to step back and see the work that I've done, know that he's pleased with it if I've done it for his glory and it helps other people. But he said, God is concerned about the outcome of my work, but he's more concerned about what kind of person I'm becoming in the midst of my work. So Paul is saying here, work really hard and in the midst of it, even if it's a job that you hate, asking God, help me to give my all and adorn, make the gospel attractive as I do so. Because one day we'll all stand before God. And those that know him, the joy of saying, look at me, I'm bruised, I'm messed up, 
because I've given my all. I've worked so hard in this life you've given to me in whatever task you've called me to do. That's the anticipation that we look forward to. We're called to work, but we're not called to overwork. God also reminds us in creation that he's the creator, and he models for us rest for his creation. His rest wasn't for him, but it was to set an example for us. Let me say this about rest. Rest in the Bible always comes after work. If you want to rest without work, that's laziness. If you start playing Fortnite and you haven't made your bed yet, that's not a good way to start. If you say, first I need to watch Netflix before I get to work, or first I need to take a nap because that will motivate me to get work done. No, rest comes after work. And it's mandated to us to work hard and to rest hard. You see, some abuse work by not working. Excuse me, some abuse rest by not working. But some abuse work by not resting. Which one are you? Repent of your laziness if you're the first one. And second, repent of trying to find your worth and value in your work and not being willing to rest. If you're the second one, one of the most worshipful things that you can do is to sit down after a day of work and know that the work isn't done and be okay with that and rest in God. That's why I love the writer of Hebrews describes the end when we come into the presence of God. It describes it as entering God's rest. It doesn't mean that all work will cease, but it'll be moved back to the way it was again, where we enjoy it, the way that it was meant to be in the presence of God. So Sailorville, let me encourage you. Let's be committed to good works, lives of holiness, integrity. Let's be committed to renouncing ungodliness in light of the grace of God because you've come to him through faith, not by works that you've done, but through Christ alone, through faith alone, and let that make us be great workers for him. And let us make the gospel attractive to those we're working with, working towards that glorious hope. Is the gospel attractive to those you're working with? Do they want, does Christ made attractive by your life? If not, repent. And let the grace of God that saved you train you to godliness, to working hard for him. And then sit down and rest, knowing that God is in control and your work isn't done. What's Jesus' present posture? He's sitting. Jesus right now is sitting. He's the only one who can sit and have the satisfaction of knowing that his work is done. The writer of Hebrews says, after making purification for sins, Jesus Christ sat down at the right hand of God. We rest in knowing that we work hard until Christ appears but we rest in knowing that all the work of salvation has already been accomplished. That's why Jesus is sitting. He's resting from all his work. 
He's lived a perfect life. He's died in our place and he rose again. And we rest in that. Have you rested in that? Have you acknowledged that you're a Cretan? But you're just born a sinner. Your sin separates you from God. By faith, put all your weight, all your rest, everything that you're trying to do on the work of Christ. Let that motivate you to work for the right reasons, not for validation, but because you've already been validated, already accepted by Jesus, and work hard as a result. Father in heaven, we thank you. We thank you for the grace that's been given to us in Jesus Christ, grace that appeared for all peoples. Nobody's left out. No race better than another, nor people group. Everyone who believes in the Son has life. He does not come into judgment, but is saved through faith alone and grace alone to good works what you prepared beforehand for us to do that we might walk in them. Oh God, I pray that we as Sailorville Church would work hard and we would make the gospel attractive to others. And as they're attracted to our lives, would we share the gospel with them? The message that Jesus Christ died in our place according to the scriptures that he rose again according to the scriptures and all who believe in faith have sins forgiven, righteousness applied, and the ability to work as they anticipate your return. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.